glad you're here. If you're watching online for the first time, we're delighted that you're here. We want to welcome you back online and welcome all of our visitors back. Now, did a great job worshiping Jesus. Now, will you preach with me and kind of pray for me a little, my voice, okay? Same here. Amen. If you've never heard me preach before or don't know me, you know that this is about 20% of my volume. That may be good for somebody. I have a very strong, strong voice. And I like it when it feels strong, but my voice doesn't dictate how I feel. I feel good, amen? And I'm glad I'm here. If you're glad you're here, say amen. amen. It's so good to be in church on New Year's Eve. I was telling some of the praise team prior to the service this morning that all my life growing up, and even when we first started this church, we used to have a thing called a watch night service. How many of you have ever seen or been in a watch night service? And for those of you that haven't, that meant we usually started church about 8 o'clock on New Year's Eve and whatever night, day of the week it was, and then we would go till about 10 o'clock with singing and preaching, and then we would eat. And that was always the part that I liked when I was a kid. Man, we're going to have food, and there'd be a little banquet. And then about 11 o'clock, we would come back in, and we would have communion. And after communion, then we would welcome the new year in. And it was a great time. Those traditions seem to be going away because there's not a lot of night services anymore. Now, I will tell you that we do have Sunday night service here. And I'm not trying to be different or self-righteous. I'm not trying to do anything. I just think this way. Can I tell you how I think? If I can, somebody say amen. amen. Good, good. I think that I ask a lot of the Lord. I do. How many ask a lot of Jesus? I mean, I want him to save me. I want him to heal me when I'm sick. I want him to answer me when I'm afraid and fright, uh, when I'm scared. My therapy class canceled this week. When I, when, I'm, when I have anxiety, when depression tries to hit me, when the enemy comes against me, I ask Jesus to be there. Can anybody else identify with that? And then I think back, and this wasn't the Lord saying this. I was just having a conversation with myself, as if you don't have those. And in that conversation, I was thinking, God, I ask a lot of you. Jesus, I ask for a whole bunch from you. And what do you ask back from me? You ask me to love you, to trust in you, to follow you and your word, and you give me all these blessings. And here's why I think about church. I think that Sunday morning is, of course, that's traditional. Sunday night used to be traditional. It's not now. We've changed and generations change, but I don't think God's changed. Wednesday nights, we used to call prayer meetings, now have changed, but we still have Wednesday nights. But it seems to me like if I ask so much of God, and I do, how do I give him so little in return? And I see my relationship kind of off kelter. And a lot of people say, well, it's okay we don't have to have church because they don't have church. I'm not working on a they and us relationship. 
I'm working on a relationship with me and Jesus. And what is it for me to give him my time Sunday morning? I've never given him a time on Sunday morning that he didn't give me back more. I've never come to church that he hasn't given me more than I brought. And for Sunday night, what little is it as a child of God? Say, I get enough on Sunday morning. Are you? There, I said it. That's silly. I owe him everything. And I'm not looking at, at current trends. I'm not looking at what's popular or unpopular. I'm not looking at what's old-fashioned or new-fashioned. I'm looking at one thing. If there's an opportunity to be in the house of God, I think I ought to be there because I think I owe him that. Now, that's just me, and that's not a guilt trip or chiding you or nothing. I'm telling you how this man thinks. I believe I owe him for all he's done for me. I owe him that dedication to be in the house of the Lord. So that's why I do it. And uh, it has nothing to do with doctrinal truths or traditions. It's just me and Jesus. <clears throat> Every year for the last many, many years now, we're going on 21 years in this church. This summer, actually, we're going to have a celebration of the 20th anniversary of this church. It happened earlier this year, so that's going to be a great time. But for going on 21 years in this church, God has given me a theme for the years. And when I look back on those themes, they coincide. It's remarkable how they coincide. Can you all hear me okay? Because I can't... My, Monitors are working, but my ears aren't, okay? Um, and he's given me a word for the last 21, going 21 years to guide this church. Last year, he gave me a theme for the year, and the theme was, I choose joy. Now, I was talking to you some pastors this week, and I said, guys, I'm going to tell you what the theme is for this coming year, but... I don't want you to say anything to anyone because the Lord just gave it to me. And so when I told them, the one of them, a friend of mine, started kind of laughing. He said, that's kind of funny. After last year, your theme was, I choose joy. Now we see this one. I said, yes, but if you see how this coincides, you've got to have joy. And that joy is power. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Did you hear that one? When Nehemiah talked about that, and he said, go home and have a celebration and have a picnic with people and, 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 and thank God for who he is because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, that joy is important because we need strength in our walk with Christ. Amen? Amen. We have a lot of things that come against us. And as I've been praying, the Lord has developed this, and I was reluctant to use this. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you must prepare the people. And when I say prepare the people, it's not for a blow or not for a disaster or not for a crisis or in fear. But you need to prepare the people spiritually to be ready for the coming year. And if we're prepared, that preparation is going to result in a good thing. 
So behind me, you're going to see the screen that God has given me for the year 2024. This is the year of battle. And this is the year of victory. The coming year of 2024, I believe, will be a year of battles for the church and for the true followers of Jesus. Many are talking about an end-time revival, and I'm convinced that we're going to experience a sovereign move of God. There's not a doubt in my mind that there's going to be, if not involved in a, a sovereign move of God in the church. I also believe this outpouring of God's Spirit will cause many to be saved, many to be delivered, many healed, many homes restored, many habits broken, and minds healed from depression and anxiety. All the while, this last day revival is happening under the very eyes of those who are rejecting God and his validity, these supernatural events will not interest the world whatsoever. They're not going to interest the world. This is a different revival than anything we've seen in the past. Revivals in the past and resurgence and renewals have had individuals that have led them these individuals have become strong and even personalities. But this revival is going to be a subtle revival of power and authority like the church has never witnessed ever in the history of the church. Those who reject God and his validity, these supernatural events will not interest the world at all, the world at large, any more than the miracles of Jesus transformed in the very eyes of the Pharisees interested them. You see, spiritual leaders in the time of Jesus followed him around. Sadducees, the political side of religion, the Pharisees, the law side of religion, followed him wherever he went. They were there to record. They recorded evidence against themselves. They saw him heal blind eyes, which was absolutely, totally impossible in that day or this day. They saw him raise the dead, which was absolutely impossible by any man's standard. They saw him heal lepers, which there was no answer other than a leper colony. Separation and division from their family until they died. They saw him feed with one small lunch, 25,000 people at the feeding of the 5,000. He said, how do you get 25? It said the men plus their wives and children. It's just a standard multiplication. They saw him at the feeding of 4,000 to do the same thing. 4,000 men and their wives and children, as many as 16,000. They watched him walk around and do miracles that are absolutely recorded in history and recorded in the word of God. They saw him in the temple touch a man with a withered hand and in front of them the hand was restored. A woman was bowed over. For years everyone in town knew her paralysis. He touched her and said, woman, be free. And she was made free. They saw these things and they were not moved in any sense. To believe in God. That same spirit is here even stronger today. 
that spirit of seeing unquestionably God doing things and there's authority and there's power but paying no attention to it it is called a hard heart and I want to tell you something my friends the enemy will try to harden your heart with apathy with fear with depression he'll try to come into your heart and cause you to look in despair instead of hope and faith toward God your battle is going to be keeping the enemy out of your head and out of your heart. And the only possible way for that to happen is through the infilling power of the Holy Spirit of God working and active in your life. They saw it with their eyes, but they wouldn't acknowledge it. The Pharisees could have proclaimed him, but they denounced him. The Pharisees could have accepted him, but they called him Beelzebub or part of the demonic spirit of Satan. They rebuked him because of their loss of popularity. They rebuked him because of their loss of finances. He took the law and he revealed the law and they changed the law. The boldness of our government today to shut the mouths of anyone or any group that uses the name of Jesus will become stronger in the coming years. Boldness. Boldness to stand, to transform, to refigure things, to say things aren't the way they are in order to shut the church down. New laws without regard to any biblical standard will be coming the battles will grow, but so will the victories in the church. Listen to me. This is not in any sense a message of despair to the believer. This is the message that we've been waiting for. This is the message that we've been signaled about. This is the prophetic that's coming to pass in the lives of believers today. If you're a believer. Now, I'm not talking about pseudo-Christians. I'm not talking about part-time Christians. I'm not talking about mouthpiece Christians. I'm talking about people that have given their heart to Jesus Christ, not only accepted him as Savior, but say, I will follow you at any cost, at any expense. And when you do, then you've reached the end of your ability to commit yourself to God. I'm going to tell you what happens. The Holy Spirit comes down and takes you by the hand and says, okay, that's where I needed you to get because no longer are you leading. Now you're following. And when I take the hand of God and he leads me, I know this, he's in front. Anything in front of me is going to have to confront him. Anything's going to have to go through him. Anything that happens to me will be something that he allows in my life to see a victory take place. And the battles will occur, but the victories will follow the battles. This is only going to be true for those that are truly committed. Well, pastor, I, I think, it's not what I think or you think, it's what the Bible says. What does the Word of God say? You know in your life where you have areas of non-committal. You know in your life where you do things you shouldn't do. And that's just me, that's just my personality, that's just the human side of me, and that's just baloney. 
The Holy Spirit enables you to be what you can't be. The Holy Spirit enables you to do what you can't do. The Holy Spirit lifts you up and strengthens you and transforms you. And what you were, you're not any longer because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we try to separate the involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're trying to say, Jesus, we want part of you, but not all of you. But I'm telling you this morning, our lives in order for us to be in this renewal, in order for us to see battles turn into victories, it's going to take commitment in our life. And we reach the edge of our ability, then he lifts us up through his power. And he does what he said he will do. He will be our strength and guide. He will be the power in our life that we need from God. You see, while this is going on, While those that are lukewarm and just religious don't even notice what's happening. It'll go on ecumenically. Religious people won't see what's happening. They'll just know the world's getting awful. They won't even notice the change. Compromise will become their logic. Let's get along. But the church... And all that's in the church is going to grow in depth. Listen to me. I'm talking to each one of you watching online in this this room that make the decision this year, I'm following Jesus. I am following Jesus. And when I say that, then he commits to me. The church And all this in the church is going to grow in depth. It's going to grow in trust. It's going to grow in love and dedication to Jesus. And that intimacy between you and God is going to become new. And it's going to become real. And it's going to be different than you've ever known in your life. But it's going to be authentic. You and Jesus. The battles are coming. But with each battle comes the promise of victory. This is the world today to you. This is how we see it. The battles are here, but it's, listen to this point. It's how you approach the battle that will decide the victory. That's a point I want you to understand. How you approach the battles will decide the victories. What do you mean, Pastor? Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in the NIV, the scripture is talking about a group of people. After this, the Moabites and the Amorites and the Munites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. That's not the way you pronounce his name. There's no J's in Hebrew, but that's how we say it. Jehoshaphat. They come against the king of Judah. Jehoshaphat was the fifth in line from David. He was the great, great, great grandson. He was reared by a father by the name of Asa. He was the king of Judah who was a godly man. Godly in all of his ways. He had a great line and pedigree. And Jehoshaphat decided at a young age he was going to remove the idolatry 
out of Israel. You have to decide. Listen to me. You must decide to remove the adultery out of your life. Well, I don't serve an idol. I'm not talking about Dagon, Buddha. I'm talking about things that are in the blocking the way of your growth spiritually in your life. Whatever it is. That becomes an idol to you. You have to decide, as Jehoshaphat did, I'm removing anything but God in the nation of Israel. What are you trying to do, Pastor? Are you trying to make a bunch of fanatics out of us? Yes. Absolutely. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to know him. I want you to experience the last days when before the coming of Jesus. Well, I don't believe we're in the last days. Believe what you want to. We're there. We're almost there. All the things that are happening. Understand this around the world today. <clears throat> What's happening today is not politically motivated at all. I heard it said <clears throat> as far back as President Bush Sr., when they talked about a one world order. You ever heard that term? That is nothing more than the government of the Antichrist. That's all it is. There, there's no explanation other than that. It's the government of the Antichrist. It was put in this fashion, a one world order. Now we see it not used that much anymore, but the world coming together. And it's nothing more than a culmination of the government of the Antichrist getting itself in place for the day that Jesus takes the church out of this. Well, I don't know if I believe in the rapture. You will when you miss it. You see, the Word of God doesn't ask for your approval. It asks for you to accept it. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That means trust him and obey God. That means what his word says. That means surrender your life to Christ and saying, I will follow you in all of my ways. There's no category in your life that you can exempt from trusting and following Jesus. None whatsoever. You're going to grow this year in depth and trust and love and dedication. Your love for Jesus is going to become more intense and your understanding of who he is to you is going to become intimate and so precious to you. And the more precious he becomes to you, the more you're going to want to give yourself to him. It's a process. This year is going to be a change. I'm telling you, I've seen over the years things that have happened. I've watched, I've prophesied, I've given warning. And this year, I see something that at the end of this year, I'm at the point of saying, Lord, I'm done telling people they're going to see for themselves. You're going to see battles come your way, but you're going to see victories follow if 
you're committed to Jesus Christ without any reception, exceptions. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it says, after this, these people came. Jehoshaphat was following God. He was doing everything he should. Well, let me ask you something. Why, if I'm a child of God, am I going to have battles and people that are just wishy-washy or lukewarm aren't? Well, I can tell you that. The enemy comes from one reason. Steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to kill your joy. And he wants to, dis- he wants to steal your faith. He wants to kill your joy. And he wants to steal, kill, destroy you as a child of God. And so he's going to come after those that say, I'm following Jesus. He's foolish. He's never won a battle. Never one time has Satan won a battle ever against God. And when you submerge yourself in, you'll see. So let's go further. Some of the men came to Jehoshaphat and said, there's a great army coming to you from Edom. These are the Edomites. These are the enemies of God. This is Esau's descendants coming against Jacob's. And he said, they're coming to destroy you. They've aligned themselves together. And I'm seeing an alignment of the enemy coming against the church today in unprecedented terms. Alarmed, chapter, verse 3. When battles come your way, you're going to be alarmed. Let me give you a definition of alarm. Look up here. There you go. That's it. Now put it to your personality. That's fear. That's oh man, Jesus help me. That's what? Everything right there. Oh, <coughs> alarmed. <coughs> Jehoshaphat. <coughs> Resolved. Here's a big word. He was alarmed. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you something. Can I tell you something prophetically? If I can't say amen. Those online are louder than you are. Boy, they're really loud. You ought to hear them. <clears throat> this word resolved is a big word in this scripture. <clears throat> when the shock of what's happened hits you, the battle, then all of a sudden he resolved. He said, oh, Man, but I'm not walking away from God. I'm running to him. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat determined to inquire of the Lord. He said, I hear it. I see it. It's a reality. So I'm going to God. Whatever news you hear, whatever circumstance comes your way personally, Financially, relationally, physically, mentally, emotionally. When it hits you, that alarm hits you, but then you say, I'm going to inquire of the Lord. I'm going to prayer. The very first thing he did was pray. He called on God, inquired of the Lord. And then the second thing he did was he proclaimed a fast. You want to know the power of a fast? 
My friends, you have no idea. If anyone in here is fasting because you want to be a good child of God, you want to be a good member of this church, or you want to be a friend of this church, or you want to do something spiritual, you've lost the reason. God sees fast as when we are spiritually purged and he can come in. We withhold food from us and when we do, God comes in with his presence and he manifests us. It's a cleansing process and fasting makes way for God's will in your life and for the miracles to take place and it's powerful, more powerful than we can imagine. In Nineveh, when Jonah came to Nineveh, as a prophetic man of God, and the Ninevites saw him. This is Baghdad, Iraq. This is right outside of that area. The wickedest city on this earth. Massive metropolitan area. He comes to shore out of the belly of a well. No false story, a true event. He walks in, and they see him, and he proclaims a word. It wasn't the fact that he was bleached out from well belly acids. It wasn't the fact that he had been through an ordeal. It's what he had to say. He said, in three days, in just a few short time, you're going to come under an annihilation as big and as powerful, as impenetrable as you think you are. You're going to be defeated and annihilated. This was a heathen government. Godless people. And those people saw it and the power of the word of that prophet was so strong. God had this word lined up for a long, long time. Can I tell you a rabbinical story? Can I? The prophet Elijah goes to Zarephath. This is what the rabbis say. They sit around and they tell stories. The prophet Elijah goes to Zarephath and he says, I'm following the word of God. There's a widow there, he said, waiting for you. The widow's gathering sticks, and she's going to make a little fire. She's going to take a little bit of oil. She's going to take a little bit of, and she's going to, her and her son are going to eat the bread from that little bit of flour and oil. They're going to drink a little water and die because there's been a famine. The rabbis say that the prophet said, give me a drink first. See, give Jesus first. I, listen, can I really pour my heart out to you? I want to tell you this year, tithing doesn't have a thing to do with money. It really doesn't. Oh, yeah, the church uses it. I'm not trying to get your money. I've never used a dime of your money for me personally other than a very meager salary. No benefits except for the kingdom of God. I've got benefits in heaven. So I can tell you from a pure heart, this thing about tithing doesn't have a thing to do. But Ruth and I tithe. We tithe more than 10%. Sometimes, many times, more than 20%. And God supplies our needs in ways you can't even imagine. I'm blessed in every area. But that's not what it's about. Tithing is when we say to God, I Put you first. And that's all it is. And this woman ties <clears throat> from a death sentence. She ties to this prophet. He gets the food. And he said, because of what you did, the oil will never run dry during this phenomenal drought. The, the meal will never run out. And if you're tithing 
God, I'm telling you, you've got a promise from God that's absolutely unchallengeable. If you're just dropping in a 50 or 100 every once in a while to soothe your conscience, you're wasting your time. That's not tithing. The tithing is the first dime of every dollar you've got. This woman tithed more than that. Half of everything, more than half of everything she had. That little boy and her were saved, but in the middle of that fast, he died. In that drought, he died. She comes to the prophet and goes, why would you do this? <clears throat> why? He died. Why didn't you just let us die together? The prophet goes and prays for him. The little boy's come back to life. He's presented to his mother. Here's what the prophets, this is what the rabbis talk about. There was a lineage that started with that son that was raised from the dead. <clears throat> and out of that son came generations ready to go. It wasn't unusual to be named after your father, your grandfather, your father's father's father. But the rabbis tell us the name of the widow's son. You know what his name was? Jonah. What? Oh, God raised him up because of her faithfulness, yes. God raised that boy up because she was a widow and needed him, yes. God raised that boy up because he had promised her she would have sustenance if she tied, yes. But God raised that boy up because there was a generation coming that needed a word and Jonah had that word and God was going to do it and he put that boy in place in his future, in his later years to come to a nation and tell them God Almighty is in control and if you yield yourself to him in a fast, He'll change it. And three days, Nineveh was completely transformed around. And history will event and tell you that out of that three-day fast that happened, there was a 100-year revival that took place in Nineveh. And to this day, there are Christians that are generational Christians because of the three-day fast that Jonah called and the people responded to. I have a friend that I haven't seen in many years, but he was one of the generals for, for, for Sadat Hussein. The only reason why Hussein did not kill him was he said, George, every time I come to you and ask you something, you're always different than the other ones. But what you say comes true. And in the middle of the night when the bombing raids were coming and the bombs were following and all the tragedy was happening in that war. God warned George, and he was a general over the Air Force. He got up, and he left, and he walked out of the bunker where he was for a bomb to hit, and 2,000-pound slab of concrete landed on the bed where he was laying. I've talked to him. I've embraced him. I've hugged him, and I found out that even in the face of Saddam Hussein, when you stand for God, the Holy Spirit protects you and surrounds you and gives you wisdom, and you grow in intimacy and trust, and every battle you have gives you a greater reason to know he's God in every battle. If he removes your battle, you'll never know him as God. You'll never understand him for who he is. You're my favorite son-in-law. Really? No kidding. That's how God works. That's how God works. It takes your involvement. Thirteen men sit around 
Saddam Hussein, 13 generals. And they would say, do this, and George would say, no, don't do that, it's a trap. And every time he was right. You say, well, he was helping the enemy. No, he was showing a man that God knows. <clears throat> you see, your involvement with God involves a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the revealer. There's no other God beside our God, but the God we serve tells us the future. There's no other source. Satan himself doesn't know the future. He's not omniscient. He can guess, but he has no idea what the next moment holds. God and God alone does. He resolved to pray. Then he called a fast. Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek him, to seek help from the Lord. And indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. All right. Third step was unity. Listen to this process. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. First, they called on God. Second, they called a fast. Thir third thing, they came together in unity. I want to tell you something. This year, I have resolved in my heart in this church to begin tomorrow and for the rest of this day in unity. I will rebuke anything that's not in unity. I will confront anything that's not in unity. And I will absolutely in love and mercy ask for unity because without unity, we have nothing. And it starts with us. It starts with the pastors. It starts with the staff. It starts with the workers, and it goes to you. Unity or without unity, everything is a shamble. I resolve that we'll have unity in this house. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah, verse 5, and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, you are, are you not the God who is in heaven? We proclaim God as the power, and beside him there is no other power. The total, complete power and dependency is on him. Another point that he did. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Verse 7, O our God, did you not divide, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever today right now Israel is Israel by God's providence and the boundaries of Israel are God's gift to Israel not man or government <clears throat> did you not give it to Israel for and the descendants of Abraham your friend he said this I'm I'm testifying of God's faithfulness. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness. And then they said in that same sentence that we are establishing our faith in you. So he goes on to talk about God's faithfulness. What he's talking, while he's doing this, he is surrounded by three or four hostile nations that are closing in on Israel like this. They're outnumbered, outgunned, out everything. 
There's really no contest by the world's standard. And if you look at and listen to the arrogance and the boldness of the news today, it sounds like they're in control. Don't be fooled. Don't, don't, if you filter God out, they are. If you filter God in, they're not. That's your response to God. That's your relationship with Jesus. You see, friends, I'm not putting a mandate on you. I'm giving you an opportunity this year. I'm giving you a word from God this year for you to grow in depth and love and commitment and appreciation with him and face battles with victories like you've never seen. Let me tell you something, how little these things are, how they can start. Before this service started today, the one thing I needed to do was put a slide up for you. And our new system, before this service started today, broke. That didn't work this morning. And we went into our prayer room before we do every Sunday. You say, ah, oh, that's little. Is it little? How can I show you if I don't have that up there? And I started praying. Amber started working on it. We started, got on the phone with those people. And when we were in the prayer room getting ready to walk out, we prayed. They walked up and said, got it fixed. You think that's an accident that this new system broke before Sunday morning and got fixed two minutes before we walked out of here? No, it was a battle that God took and God won. And he was saying to me again, go preach the truth. Tell them to trust in me and see the battle unfold into victory. Everything that you come in in your life, everything that's trying to separate you from the word, from the truth. The next thing, in verse 13, look at this. And all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord. This is unusual. It's typically an all-male society. It's typically the women... You ever been to the Great Wailing Wall? You ever been to that place in Israel? I've stood at that wall in Jerusalem. But there's a petition. The women are over here. The men are over here. I put my cap on. I walked up. I put my hands on the same stone that the Israelites did. I stood by rabbis as they were praying in Hebrew, chanting their, their, their prayers to him. And I put my little piece of paper in a crack that said what I wanted the Lord to do, and I began to worship him. I was there, but there was a separation. This is very unusual that men and women and children would come together. They came together, it says this, they, they came together and stood, look at this, and all the men of Judah and their wives and children and little ones stood there. This is steadfastness. Steadfastness. I'm not changed from week to week. I'm not going to make a commitment today and not later. I'm going to be steadfast in my commitment to Christ. <clears throat> when that happened, they'd reached the end of their human ability. Verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord. Let me show you something about this wording. Capital S Spirit, capital L Lord, L Capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the Holy Spirit of Yahweh. This is God. This is nothing different.
different than the Holy Spirit we experience today. He's not a newcomer. He's not an invention of God. He is the eternal God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? He's God. The, the Spirit that indwells man, the Spirit of the Lord, came upon Yahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Yahael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph, and he stood in the assembly. One man. One man we never saw or heard before. But he's there and he said, I commit myself to you. When I was at worship this morning, I was saying this, God, you know my heart. You're the reader of my mind. You know everything about me. And all I'm asking you, God, is to let me have what's real with you, what's true with you. I need you, Jesus, to involve me in your presence. And when you pray that, God's faithful. Yahaziel comes. And he said these words, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who are in Judah and Jerusalem. This is everyone, women, men, boys and girls, listen to me. This is what the Lord says. This is a prophetic word to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. He said, don't be afraid or discouraged with what you see or what you hear. I'm talking about today, you. Don't be discouraged with what you see and what you hear. Don't do it. And he's not saying it's a good thing not to. He's saying God will enable you not to be afraid or discouraged of what you see or what you hear because the army's surrounding us. There's a reason for the battle isn't yours. It's God's. 2024 is the year of battle. 2024 is the year of victories. But the battle is God's, not yours. If you put yourself in the right place, if you position yourself with God, he told them what to do. You see, when you position yourself with God and you let him lead the battle, then the battle strategy is his. He will guide you with future insight. He will tell you, go here, don't go here, be this, don't. He'll show you what to do. And if you'll follow and listen closely to him, he'll lead you to victory. You see, what they did is they went to where he told them to go. They followed the, the word of God to the letter. And they watched the enemy collapse on themselves. They watched the enemy destroy themselves. They watched the enemy come to their own end. Nothing's changed today. God still completely and absolutely can to totally in control. The battle changed. The enemy started turning on themselves. And the, the Bible says that after a short period of time, the enemy 
was defeated and there was not any left at all. I'm looking for one little sheet of paper that I have memorized. I don't need it. This is what the Lord said. He said, there's a process. It's how you approach the battle. And how you approach the battle is extremely important. First, you do this. And this is the process that God used. The first thing you do is call on God. Number one, go to God. The second thing you do is call a fast. I'm calling a fast officially this moment, right now, at this time. I'm calling a fast for the sanctuary of hope and everyone that's listening online for the next ever how many days, 28 days, if whatever that is. The next thing, after he called on God, and we're calling on God, he called a fast. This is for your personal life. They came together in unity. I absolutely am claiming unity in this house. And I will be the defender of that unity in this house. In love, but in absolute authority, as a shepherd and pastor of this church, I claim unity and I rebuke anything that's out of unity. There's nothing more important No person, there's not one soul in this house, including me, that's not replaceable. Anyone, I'm saying I'm going to have, with God's help, unity in this house for us to go further. I'm not saying we don't have it. I'm saying that's what we have to do. The next thing is to proclaim the power of God, who he is. The next thing is to testify to his faithfulness. What he's done, has God ever answered any of you in the past? Have you ever been in a pickle and cried out to God and God helped you? Of course. The next thing is to establish your faith, your steadfastness in God. The next thing that he did was stand. I read a great Bible scholar one time that says that when you stand, when you make a stand, you're just getting out of the way so God can do what he wants to do. Stand. They stood together and they believed and trust. The next thing they did was worship. He called the Levites and the priests together and he said, They said, What are we going to do tomorrow? I said, We're going to go to battle. How are we going to do it? We're going to put the priest out in front with their shofars. We're going to put the choirs behind them and we're going to have all the people line up. And we're going to sing glory to his name. Glory to his name. They're at the cross. Oh, really? Glory to his name. They begin to sing praises. And that caught the ear of God. Caught the ear of God. My friends, listen to me. This is the recipe. This is the pattern. This is the way that we will begin this year. And I can tell you, we're going to come in this house not boastfully, not arrogantly, but humility 
and brokenness before God. And we're going to say, I was in a battle this week, but my God supplied every need I have. I was in a battle this week, and he broke the hand of the enemy. I was in a battle this week. Something tried to come into this church and cause division, and God dissolved it without a man's finger to it. I was in a battle this week in my mind, but God broke it. I was in a battle this week in my finances, and he healed it. I was in a battle this week with my health, but he delivered me. I've been in a battle in my family for 25 years, but he resolved it. I've seen God take the battle and change it into the glory of God, but we've got to have the battles to have the victories. And all of this I'm saying in ending is simply this. It's simply this. It takes my surrender, whoever is coming. It takes my surrender Listen to me. Well, listen to me online. It takes my surrender and commitment to God the way he committed to me. There's no halfway commitment. Now, for all of you that have these flimsy little religious expressions, like you can't judge me, or you don't know my heart, That's true, and I'm so glad I don't, but God does. He knows you. He knows your intent. He knows your reasoning. He knows your desire. And this is what I'm saying this year. No 80-20 Christians, no 90-10 Christians, 100% followers of Jesus. And I'm telling you, the revival that the world will not pay any attention to is going to be so strong and evident in this house. They won't care if dead people get up every week. And we're not going to let it be a book or a magazine or get on TV. They don't care if miracles take place. They watched it with Jesus. That didn't affect them, the hardness of their heart. They brought new laws and new rules constantly. But I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, he rose from the dead. And he filled us with the power of the Holy Spirit on, the on that day, 120 day, on that great day, 120 in that great day at the Feast of Pentecost. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's our advocate, and he's there waiting for us to surrender to him. Stand to your feet with me.